and welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews since 1996. You can read all of my reviews there at Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I cover all eras of film, not just the 1980s. In fact, I do another podcast that covers brand new movies that are out in theaters or VOD or streaming services. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. You can also find a link to that podcast at my website, Quipster.net. Today I'm going to be looking at a an actual trilogy this week. It is a film series that actually has five movies now. However, most people, when they talk about the Rambo trilogy, they're talking about specifically the ones that came out in the 1980s. The first one was called First Blood. It came out in 1982. Very violent film for its time, but not nearly as violent as its sequels. It's an R-rated film. It does have violence and language. The runtime is an hour and 33 minutes. Sylvester Stallone is the main star, of course, as he is in all of the Rambo films. Brian Dennehy, Richard Crenna, Bill McKinney, David Caruso, and Chris Mulkey are in the supporting cast. The director is Ted Kotcheff, and the screenplay credited to Michael Cazal, William Sackheim, and Sylvester Stallone himself. When you think of First Blood, you think, well, this is quintessential Reagan-era violent individualism in action here. It's one of the benchmark motion pictures. It really set the standard for most Hollywood action films for the next several years. Really, throughout most of the 1980s, it was very resonant in the American psyche. You know, this first film is based on a novel. It's a 1972 novel by David Morrell, who was a Canadian, ironically. He worked on his book while he was a professor at the University of Iowa in the United States. He heard stories from his students about their experiences when they came back from Vietnam, and, and all of that started to culminate into ideas of what he wanted to put in his book. The final screenplay here that was used for the film was co-written, as I mentioned, by Sylvester Stallone himself. It really paints a very bleak picture of the troubled veterans of Vietnam. You know, many were unable to hold a job or to function in any kind of family setting or to have basic human interactions. They're pushed to the edge until they become, you know, in this case, a killing machine for survival. John Rambo is a man that could be going that path. He spent years trying to track down the only family that he ever really knew in his life, the soldiers who fought alongside him in Vietnam. To John Rambo's dismay, he finds now he's all alone. All of the rest of his compatriots were killed in action, or in one case of the last survivor besides him, died from cancerous war-related exposure to chemicals, and that leaves Rambo to do nothing but to drift along the roads in search of some sort of new meaning to his life. He ends up in the small town of Hope in Washington. The local sheriff there, played by Brian Dennehy, he's named Will Teasel. He ends up tagging Rambo as some sort of hippie, vagrant drifter. He quickly ushers him out of town. However, Rambo just wants something to eat. He defiantly tries to return to town, whereupon he is arrested immediately for vagrancy. I mean, he doesn't quite understand why he's being incarcerated. He resists the strong-arm tactics by the police to try to get him to comply. And during that struggle, it triggers flashbacks of Rambo's days as a tortured prisoner of war by the Vietnamese. Rambo, he's an ex-Green Beret. He's perhaps the most lethal of them all. He muscles his way out of the police station and into the nearby woods where the police are in hot pursuit. And what they don't realize is that Rambo really is a one-man killing machine. He has raw instincts for guerrilla warfare, and he has very little to hold his fragile mentality together. He just wants to be left alone, but the police are going to see to it that he never gets his wish. 
They're going to wish that he got his wish in the end. Now, there's a trivia note here. Rambo, the character, Morel has stated that it's somewhat based on the uh, World War II hero and actor later named Audie Murphy. He died when Morel was writing his novel. He was a PTSD-afflicted uh, World War II hero, and his story about his difficulty assimilating it did inspire Morel into putting some of that into his book. Now, Rambo, he has no first name in the novel. He is called John Rambo here. The screenplay put the name John in there uh, as Johnny Rambo originally. It ended up changing to John Rambo sometime later because Johnny was an homage to the song When Johnny Comes Marching Home, which does have some themes that are similar to what you would find here in the movie. The last name, Rambo, it came to Morel when his wife brought home some Rambo apples during this time when he was struggling to come up with what name he wanted to give his novel's main character. Now, it would take nearly a decade after the publication of First Blood as a book before someone would end up developing it into a full motion picture production. There was a lot of hangups along the way. Part of it was due to the overall bleakness of the story, particularly in its ending, because in the book and in a lot of the screenplays, Rambo is going to basically not come out alive. He, that would have ensured that there would have been no further sequels, although this was in the 70s where sequels were not necessarily something that they were striving for, not like today. The novel was a hot commodity in Hollywood shortly after its publication in 1972. Columbia Pictures immediately secured the rights for $75,000 to try to make a film. They attached Richard Brooks to direct from his own script, and he set about getting to work on it. He envisioned this bifurcated storyline about two different kinds of veterans, one from World War II and the other from Vietnam and how they ended up coming home. He envisioned, at least for the sheriff role, uh, the likes of Burt Lancaster or Lee Marvin. However, Brooks ended up not getting very far with his screenplay. The rights were subsequently sold off by Columbia Pictures to Warner Brothers the following year for $125,000. Now, over the next several years, in the care of Warner Brothers, many would become attached to the project. You had directors like Martin Ritt, Sidney Pollack, Martin Bregman, John Badham, John Frankenheimer, and Mike Nichols. They were all tasked at one point or another to take on the project from a, a variety of screenwriters, including John Milius or Walter Newman or David Rabb. You know, they all came up with different ideas on this basic premise from the book. Now, as far as casting Rambo himself, there was a whole who's who of hot actors. You had Clint Eastwood, Robert De Niro, James Garner, if you can believe that, I feel he might have been a little too old. Paul Newman, another one that may have been too old. Al Pacino, uh, Chris Christopherson, John Travolta, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Brad Davis, Powers Booth, Nick Nolte, Terrence Hill, Michael Douglas. They were all in the running at one point or another to play the titular character. The sheriff's role would find Burt Lancaster, as I mentioned, Robert Mitchum, Lee Marvin, Steve McQueen, again, and Gene Hackman, Robert Duvall, and Charles Durning, given looks for that role. And all of that, over the next several years, by 1977, all of that talent had taken a pass on Rambo. But during that year, there was a script that was developed from producer William Sackheim. He collaborated with screenwriter Michael Kozol, who together they would come up with this script that would be pushed forward to it ended up being more failed attempts. However, this Sakheim Kozol script would remain as the most promising choice for the next few years. All of the stalled and aborted attempts by Warner Brothers, they would finally end. First Blood's slated distributor, Filmways, would end up getting bought out by Orion Pictures. And that pretty much sealed the deal, at least they felt at the time. However, 
One of the last slated directors that was attached to First Blood was Ted Kotchev. He's a Canadian director. He's of Bulgarian descent. He happened to be a friend and former client of Warner Brothers agent turned president Bob Shapiro. In 1981, Kotchev spent months with co-writer Michael Kazal working on a new script based on the book, straight from the novel that they wanted to bring to life. But they were told when they handed in a first draft at that time, don't bother. They really didn't see at that point making the film at a time, given the depressing and disastrous nature of the Vietnam War and the raw and sensitive issue in the public psyche at the time. They thought it was just too soon. The Reagan era was beginning. America was looking more to the future, toward optimism, and having more fun in its entertainment. First Blood was just deemed too bleak to be a viable movie at that point. After Kotcheff had been told not to bother continuing to develop his script by Warner Brothers, he ended up moving on to other projects. He later connected with uh, Carol Coe's Mario Kassar and Andrew Vajna. They wanted to collaborate with him, and they asked him what he would like to do as his first film for their fledgling company. He stated, well, he wasn't sure Warner Brothers would give it up, but he was working on First Blood. He thought that would be a really good movie, but he didn't think that they were going to give up the rights despite abandoning it because they felt that, hey, what if they made it a hit? They would be upset about it. But Kassar and Vajna were determined. They ended up negotiating for it. And about a year afterward, Warner Brothers finally decided to option out the rights to First Blood for the sum of $375,000 to Caraco. And Caraco also ended up paying $150,000 to Cinema Group for the rights to the prior Sackheim Kozol script. At Kotcheff's suggestion, Sylvester Stallone, who had originally been uninterested due to the project going through so many hands already, he didn't think that it was ever going to get made given how much talent had passed on it. He ended up being talked into it. He signed on immediately for the sizable sum of $3.5 million. I'm sure that would have convinced most people to, at that time, appear in the film. He was going to play John Rambo in 1981 with the condition that he be able to help Kotcheff with his intended rewrite of the Sackheim Kozol script. As they worked through the rewrite, Stallone had this zany idea during that portion of it that Rambo should not have any dialogue in the film whatsoever. They thought this was a real interesting notion. So they began the process of stripping away all of the dialogue for John Rambo. It ended up in the end, they realized that things would feel unnatural if Rambo ends up saying nothing the entire film, and they thought that it was a gimmick that wasn't going to work in their favor. But they still liked the idea of a mostly silent Rambo. They kept him from talking for extended periods of time. When he said something, it was usually something important, and that would lend a little bit of weight to the character. It wasn't easy to come up with the script. There were several revisions, about seven revisions that were done. And there was also the uncredited assistance of additional screenwriters like Larry Gross and David Geiler. And during the script writing phase when Stallone was on board, the nature of Rambo's character would undergo a lot of major changes. He chose to reduce Rambo's aggressiveness. He found a more sympathetic angle than just being a damaged psycho like he was in the book. Stallone wanted him to act much more out of self-defense than in proactively exacting deadly revenge on those people around him who were hassling him. In Stallone's mind... This was a man who was tired of death. He was tired of violence. He wouldn't out and out kill anyone. He would choose to maim them because American soldiers were crippled rather than killed oftentimes by their Vietnamese captors in order for them to send a demoralizing message back home for continued interference when they came back in wheelchairs or crutches or missing limbs. 
Meanwhile, the Sheriff Teasel character would go from the book's reasonable and very rounded lawman to kind of a jerk here. He runs the town on his own whim and his own iron will. He doesn't care for the rights of those he harasses, and most of his own men seem to be more of the same. You know, Vietnam was becoming a hotter, hotter topic, uh, particularly in examining the sufferers of PTSD due to the war and also the less-than-friendly welcome that they received from the American public. When they came back home, Rambo was to no longer be viewed as merely just a psycho on a suicide mission, as he was originally in a lot of the early scripts. You know, he was going to be a man who needed to be killed by the end, but instead, they decided to have more sympathy. He was going to be a victim and a survivor. He was trying to find his own spot in this country that no longer seemed to want him, and that played him up more as the underdog, the reluctant hero. Ted Koch's vision would be that the film would represent a statement on behalf of the Vietnam vets on how they have been treated. You have the cops as the representatives of those who oppose them. You know, this all represented the kind of attitude that many of the soldiers had to come home to. They just wanted to find some normalcy in an environment of misplaced hostility. Now, despite all of the revisions and the people brought on board to fix it, they still didn't know what to do about the ending. Should Rambo be apprehended but live or to, as originally intended, kill himself with a gun by the man who made the monster, Colonel Troutman, at the end. Originally, Rambo was on a suicide mission. He wanted to die, but Stallone had serious qualms about putting the character through so much through the entire film and then just have him die at the end. He felt that audiences would hate that angle. Kotchev decided to shoot, during this time, an alternate ending, just in case, where Rambo lives. If they change their minds, they can go with the other way, they ended up letting test audiences be the ones who would eventually decide the character's fate. So test screenings were done. It resulted in, curiously, a mixed reaction. Some people preferred one, some people preferred the other. So they ended up having to make the decision themselves. They would go with what Stallone really, really wanted. They would choose the alternate ending and let Rambo survive. Now filling in the supporting cast, Kirk Douglas was originally hired as Colonel Troutman, but he would soon leave the production due to artistic differences with the direction of the revisions to the script, especially in the lines and the actions that he's supposed to deliver toward the end of the film. He complained that Sylvester Stallone was the only one who seemed to be allowed to call the shots and that he didn't need to be in a film that didn't value his input. After Rock Hudson also took a pass, he had uh, heart surgery lined up, so he was out for medical reasons. They ended up calling in Richard Crenna. He was brought in on one day's notice to replace Kirk Douglas. The character was already by that time beefed up to be a close mentor from the war days for Rambo, unlike the book where they didn't have a lot of uh, backstory connection. There were only three days to shoot Krenna's scenes, so he didn't have time to read the script and fully prepare for the role. During each scene, they would have to feed him his lines and his actions before each take. And some have said that that makes Krenna's scenes seem a little campier than the rest of the film. They were a little bit incongruous due to the less somber and more old-school military line delivery that he gives. Nevertheless, it would be a big role for Krenna. It would become his most famous of roles in a long and distinguished career, especially as he also appeared in the sequels. Now, despite being a story to appeal to Americans, First Blood would be set in the fictional town named Hope, presumably in Washington State, although it was shot in the real-life British Columbia town called Hope, a great American story that is actually filmed in Canada by a Canadian director from a book that was written by a Canadian. In the novel, the 
Kentucky town of Madison was the location, but they changed it because of the ability to shoot out in the woods in British Columbia. Now, while this would make for an affordable shooting locale, the weather ended up being an issue that delayed the production significantly. Some days the weather was too sunny. Kotcheff had wanted a gray and dour look through the entire film to go along with the tone of the story. So they ended up having to wait for, you know, the sun to start to come down. Bad patch of heavy snow would also end up shutting the production for about a week. And on top of all of those delays because of the weather, the high amount of action and stunt work would also result in several injuries that would further delay the shoot. There was a tree jump that was done by Sylvester Stallone himself in which he broke about a half dozen ribs. You can actually see that happen in the movie when he falls into a branch of the tree on the way down and then ends up holding himself in the ribs. He really did break those during that time. To make matters worse, there would be an incident of theft $50,000 worth of guns that were modified to shoot blanks for the film ended up getting stolen, and that would cause them to have to repurchase new guns and to remodify them for the film. Now, once shooting was finally, finally completed, the first rough cut was put together. It clocked in at that time at a hefty, it was at least three hours, maybe three and a half hours, according to Stallone. Stallone watched this cut and he felt the film was going to be so ill-received, he contemplated just buying it himself so that no one would ever see it. He was sickened by what he saw. So they ended up going through the process of heavily editing what they had in that first cut. They chopped out a good deal of the expository dialogue and they kept winnowing it down to the point where the final cut would run about half the length that they originally turned in, 93 minutes. Vajna and Kassar went about trying to secure a distributor for the film at that point. They ended up having to put together a showreel to sell, but they found no initial takers for the film. Eventually, they put together a reel that showcased about half of the film, and that's where they ended up securing foreign distribution. But still, they had nothing for North America, at least until they got more aggressive. Paramount was initially interested, but it didn't pan out. But the original distributor, Filmways Orion Pictures, would end up winning out in the end for distribution rights to the U.S. for the sizable sum of $8 million and a release date of October of 1982. When it was released, First Blood would prove to be a huge hit at the box office. It debuted at number one in the U.S. It stayed there for three whole weeks. It remained in the top ten in the country for two additional months after that. All told, the $16 million budgeted film ended up breaking in over $45 million in the U.S., and did even better internationally, took in $75 million more on top of it, and it would actually break box office records in such places around the world like Hong Kong and Turkey and a lot of other places where movies like this were becoming red hot. For Stallone, it was a much-needed breakthrough. It was his first non-Rocky film in his career to actually make money. It would also be a career boost to Brian Dennehy, who would quickly become one of the most sought-after character actors in Hollywood throughout the next two decades. Now, as far as my take on Rambo, I'm of two minds about it because I enjoy watching Rambo as somebody who loves 1980s movies and especially in looking back at action cinema of the 1980s. But there's also part of me, that film critic part of me, that knows that there are a lot of problems with First Blood as a story. It's gripping in spots. It's very entertaining throughout, but the story does occasionally feel at odds with itself. The creators here try their hardest to try to make this a serious character study at times of the effects of the Vietnam War on its soldiers, and certainly you can see that in the screenplay, but it's also trying to be very entertaining in its over-the-top action. Each element, it's strong on its own. You can enjoy it either way, but together, both tend to undercut each other at critical moments. 
to the point where it feels a little bit uneven from time to time. Grandiose action elements, they really serve to make this an exciting and fun film, certainly, even when it may seem deadly serious. But the introduction of drama, particularly in the final monologue, while it is poignant for the character of John Rambo, it's delivered in a manner at that point which encroaches on becoming somewhat disingenuous and it leads to some unintentional awkwardness during that time. On the other hand, there's still an earnestness in telling this tale for the soldiers that is definitely respectable. But the action lets on that Kotchev and Stallone really want to make this a vehicle that rides on populist entertainment much more so than realistic and in-depth character study that maybe the older screenplays might have done. Dramatic momentum is there but never entirely achieved in a way that would have landed much more. Even taking each aspect on its own terms, First Blood is still, in the end, a solid effort. It may not quite be as great a film as some of its rabid fans have often touted. I mean, you take any film from the 1980s, even ones that are generally considered bad, and there are going to be rabid fans, but this one has a lot of them. The measure of the inconsistency, I think, here comes from the campier-than-necessary performances. I think Brian Dennehy, he's probably the one actor that I point to here that gives the right amount of effort in his performance in the uh, more secondary role as the hothead heavy. I think Stallone here, he's obviously trying hard to stay subdued in this manner that borders on unnatural. You know, he stripped away the dialogue, made him very terse. I do think that Stallone has often been unfairly underappreciated as an actor by critics because I think he can deliver very good performances, and he's shown that over the years, but I don't know that I would consider this performance to be one of his upper echelon. He's still done much better acting, I think, especially in the Rocky films and some of the smaller movies that ended up getting overlooked. Despite this, I do think that there's no question that Stallone really does have great screen presence, and it definitely does help here with Rambo. At least he's memorable in the role. He does deliver in that gut-wrenching final monologue that I think would have been much more powerful had it not already been established that this is a movie that isn't playing entirely seriously. And unfortunately, it's a little bit undercut by the fact that that monologue is partially unintelligible. I think people who put on subtitles probably appreciate it much more than those people who are watching for the first time and can't understand what he's actually saying in that very critical moment. Richard Crenna's lack of preparation does show in his performance, while the cast of supporting actors unfortunately are given little for their roles but to act like semi-comical hicks for the film. There's also the high BS factor that you would see in this film. It's definitely much more subdued than they would be in later films. You know, you see a man, he takes on 200 armed and trained officers and beats them at every turn. I know he's a Green Beret and he's trained to be a total killer, but this gets to be a little bit absurd, but definitely not as absurd as a lot of 80s movies and even movies made today would end up getting. I mean, I just reviewed Commando. It's definitely much more absurd than this one. There's also more of this when we witness Rambo in a few death-defying fights, as well as some falls from great heights with barely a scratch to show for it. The absurdity level is more than a bit high, although not in a way that makes it less entertaining. It's still an entertaining film. Some viewers might even enjoy this departure from realism for the sake of well-done action sequences. If you take this as an action film, it's a better action film than most. If you take this as a drama, it's probably a little weak in that department. So I guess it depends on what you're looking for. And I do think that most people view First Blood primarily as an action film. So from that, it does succeed. It's definitely recommended for the parts that work well. And, you know, the underlying themes on the Vietnam War experience... Even with the unevenness involved in the alternating focus between action and drama, it still can be compelling. You take this as a smaller film than the series would eventually become on its subsequent four sequels, 
it's still an effective action vehicle for Stallone. It did strike a nerve with the American public. Most people look and think that this is a very violent film. You know, only one person ends up dying in this movie, and that is an accident. The appeal, I think, would be enough to see Rambo come back even more over-the-top action. Unfortunately, those films end up glorifying the battlefield violence that was negated by the anti-war theme of this first entry. And by comparison, First Blood looks more like a somber issues-based drama than it does a full all-out action film. So I'm someone who's never really cottoned to the Rambo series. As the years progress, especially as these Rambo films become more and more violent, I respect much more what they were trying to do with First Blood to the point where I actually like watching First Blood. I'm coming around on it in a way that it took me decades to do. Three stars out of four is what I'm giving First Blood. Three stars on my scale. I do recommend it for people who like this kind of movie. I would recommend it primarily to, obviously, Stallone fans who are going to love it. If you like the work of Brian Dennehy, I think he's terrific in this film. And I do think that if you're a fan of the Rambo series, you have to give respect to the first one that came out, especially in the fact that it gives you much more to sympathize with than you would find in the later films. So three stars out of four is what I give First Blood. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. As far as what I'm going to be covering next week, obviously, we're going to continue on with the series going forward to 1985 to cover one of the biggest hits of that year, Rambo First Blood Part 2 on the next episode. It's a film I haven't seen in a long time. Maybe I'll come around in that film, too. We'll see what happens next week. So check that out before I get to the review, and you'll be able to understand where I'm coming from. If you want to get in contact with me with your own thoughts on First Blood or any other film that I talk about here, or even make recommendations as far as where you want the show to go eventually, you can find my contact information all at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Until next time, thanks everyone for listening and joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. (laughs) 